Hello. Thanks for listening and joining us on the Be Yourself Happy, Healthy, Hopeful podcast. I'm your host, Steph, a health promoter from the Bulimia Anorexia Nervosa Association here in Windsor, Ontario. On this podcast, we explore topics related to health, mental wellness, and creating a happy, healthy, and hopeful life full of opportunities for yourself. Today, my guest is Sarah Burnesh. Sarah is a writer, anti-diet holistic nutritionist, and certified intuitive eating counselor. She specializes in weight-inclusive care for disordered eating and body image. Based out of Toronto, she has helped hundreds of people rediscover the joy of eating and make peace with their natural body size. Sarah teaches women how to find food freedom and strengthen their body image using the principles of intuitive eating, mindfulness, self-care, and body image work. Sarah recently wrote a book. It's called Enjoy It All, Improve Your Health and Happiness with Intuitive Eating, and will be, it will be available in September of 2020. In the book, Sarah delivers a step-by-step process for healing your relationship with food and your body image. I am so excited to reconnect with Sarah on this episode. We had an amazing chat, so stay tuned, and I hope you enjoy. Here we go. All right, so today I'm here with my guest. I'm very excited to have Sarah Burnesh on. Um, Sarah, you I've introed you already in our beginning portion of the podcast, um, but I, just to get started, I wanted you to take the lead and tell everyone who you are and how would you describe yourself and what you do. Yeah, sure. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So my name is Sarah. I am a holistic nutritionist as well as a certified intuitive eating counselor. I prefer the term nutrition therapist because it more accurately describes the work that I do. Mm -hmm. So I specialize in weight inclusive care for folks with disordered eating. um, And I also do some body image work. So that that looks primarily like one to one sessions as well as like some group coaching. Um, And that's kind of what I do for the most part. Mm -hmm. I also do a lot of writing. Yes, yeah, and we'll get into a little bit more of uh, what she's been working on more recently and what will be um, available to us more recently that Sarah wrote. Um, But I also wanted uh, to start because I know Sarah from my time living in Toronto, um, and it's interesting because we are both trained as holistic nutritionists, but both of our, where we cross paths was when we were working I believe like for a brief period of time we both worked at the same juice bar (laughs) Um, and it's interesting to see where our paths have taken us after that and um, both being in line with um, Bianna principles things like positive body image and um, promoting that all foods fit and things like that so it's it's kind of cool to see that we were both led here after that experience of working at the juice bar which is really different yeah <laughs> yeah yeah for sure. and Sarah also we um she she's been living in Toronto for quite some time but she does have a connection to Windsor Essex because you were um you grew up in Amherstburg right Sarah yeah that's right I spent most of my life in Amherstburg and, and some a couple years in Windsor so I'm a I'm an Amherstburg native <laughs> <laughs> yeah so she still has that Windsor Essex connection which I thought was pretty cool too um, okay, so 
As some of our listeners are likely still not very familiar with what intuitive eating is, and um, I know you're really well versed in this, and this is what our dietitian at BANA um, uses as a philosophy as well. So I was thinking that it would be a good beginning for you to just explain what that is for those who don't know. Yeah, yeah, of course. And so intuitive eating has become very mainstream or is, is gaining traction, certainly mm-hmm. in the media today. But what most don't realize is that this is actually a long-standing modality. It was formally created in 1995 um, with the, the publication of Intuitive Eating, so the book by the same name, by authors Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. It is a modality that uses 10 principles to help folks to make peace with food and their body image. To some extent, uh, the food is really primary and it has over 120 studies behind it. So it's really well studied in that way. There's um, a validated assessment scale. Um, There's a number of worksheets that go along with it. If you've you've been trained under that modality and really it's a non-diet approach. So unlike most diets that we come across today, unlike most prescriptive eating plans, whether they fall under the, the label diet, like as in a traditional diet, traditional weight loss diet, or whether they're more about you know lifestyle change, intuitive eating is very different because it truly is an anti-diet modality. It helps people to move away from prescriptive plans and from external sources and towards their own in- internal wisdom. And so we often talk about it as a dynamic interplay of emotion, thought, and an instinct is, is kind of the, the three pieces there. Um, so it involves the cognitive as well as something relational and something somatic. Um, that's kind of how I make sense of it. And that's, that's kind of the deal there with, with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And because all of like the external information that we're getting on a regular basis from media and just basic even like some hardcore knowledge that has been like taught to us for 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 so long like BMI being like an indicator of our overall health all of these pieces of information have influenced the way we feel about our bodies as well as like our relationship with food and how we see food so um this is an excellent tool especially if there's disordered eating involved um which is why I thought it'd be so valuable to this audience to to get a little bit more deeper into intuitive eating. Um, And I really like how it's about rediscovering the pleasure of food. Um, So when speaking with your clients about that, what are some um, aspects of intuitive eating that you bring to the table to change your perspective about food? Yeah, that's a great question. so one thing, we, I mean, I guess if you go step by step, um, there's a lot of education that happens in the room around what nutrition is versus um, what wellness industry has sort of taken it to mean, as mm-hmm. well as its context. Like most folks don't realize that it actually accounts for a very small percentage of health outcomes when we look at the social determinants of health. And so there's a lot of education that gets done around that and a lot of myth busting. Mm -hmm. Um, Many people come in believing that they shouldn't be eating carbohydrates um, when carbohydrates are so essential and provide the brain with so much good energy. So some of it, we do some debunking. um, We do, we do that, that piece of it, like really going into the details of 
what what actually nutrition is and, and gentle nutrition principles. We talk about um, an all foods an all foods fit mentality. I really love what Kylie Mitchell, who's an RD out of the U.S., has said about um, about all foods fitting into into a healthy diet. And and her reasoning is that all foods break down into fat, carbohydrate, and po- protein, which are the building blocks of life. And so regardless of whether it's like a chocolate bar or a bag of chips or a salad or whatever you happen to be eating, it all breaks down. And I think when you phrase it like that, it starts to make sense. I know when I heard that, um, I thought that was a really excellent description, mm-hmm. really ex- excellent explanation. Um, so those are some of the things that I talk about um, when we start first going into intuitive eating, we also break down like restriction, like the psychological and physical forms of restriction, um, how to identify it and how to move through those pieces. Um, so that's kind of the beginning mm-hmm. of when we can actually get into the work. And then, of course, I do talk about the principles and how it's an anti-diet modality, how we will not be uh, pursuing weight loss. It's not the intent is not to help people to lose weight. It's for people to make peace with their natural body size and develop a good relationship with food. Um, so that's sort of what we tend to cover in the initial first few sessions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great insight into what's actually going down in those sessions. Um, is there one intuitive eating? There's So for those who don't know, there's also 10 of these intuitive eating principles that were high, are highlighted by the dietitians who began this. Um, do you find that there's one that is your favorite or like one that you maybe need to spend more time on with <laughs> with certain clients? Yeah. So the way that I teach it is maybe a little different from other folks. And then I, I really try to simplify it. So reject the diet mentality is probably my favorite if I have to choose a favorite from mm-hmm. the bunch, just because I think it is foundational. I think legalizing food is imperative for all the other principles to kind of work. Um, I think it's imperative when we're talking about moving from a, you know, a diet mentality towards an anti-diet approach to nutrition. Um, so really identifying like where the diet mentality shows up for you and tools to sort of, um, to dissolve it or whatever word you prefer. Uh, that's probably number one. And then I also spend a fair amount of time on the satisfaction factor, discover Mm. the satisfaction factor simply because I think pleasure is such a wonderful um, and an under-discussed piece mm-hmm. of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. I remember going through nutrition school and just feeling like I didn't really, I don't remember hearing a lot about the purpose of pleasure yeah. or, the, or, the, or the importance of it. And as I've done more and more research over the years, I've realized how important it is, right, to really, to enjoy the food that we're eating, um, to, to figure out what is satisfying, to be able to stop constantly thinking about food and actually go on with our lives and do other things mm-hmm. and looking at something like the French paradox and realizing the role of enjoyment mm-hmm. and health, um, looking at Rosito, Pennsylvania and the community there, um, just all different forms of, of like where pleasure shows up and how vital it actually is. And we also know too, from looking at some of the research that we respond a lot better to pleasure oriented messages about health than we do about um, mm. more about the, you know, the, the about health messages that really talk about health. Like the pleasure tends to be a, a bigger sticking point for folks. Mm. And so I do tend to talk a lot about the satisfaction factor. And then I also love um, the principle about coping with your emotions. And mm. so that's been recently updated to cope with your emotions with kindness. 
mm-hmm. which I which I just I really love um, the new version of that and really looking at emotion like really normalizing emotional eating and understanding that it is something that happens and that's okay mm-hmm. and also recognizing that um, that food can't help us to truly process our emotions and so it's wonderful that it's there and of course it's going to be there and also we might want to find tools in addition to food to help us to cope with some uncomfortable feelings amazing so yeah i feel like the ones that you spoke about are ones that stick out for me as well um maybe that's because we have similar backgrounds too and we were slightly dated with (laughs) with some of the messaging we got um when you said that Yeah. And when you said that about satisfaction and not really learning about that, that was kind of like a little aha moment for me, to be honest, just in like in all of the education that I've done. Um, But now that is such a big part of my life, like seeking like satisfaction with food and satisfaction with myself and what I'm what I'm doing every day because making the most of of, like this life. Um, So yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's like a moment where I'm like, right, like, I, why aren't we taught that more, right? Um, yeah. Uh, because we all are intuitive. So that and like, that's probably why we pick up on um, that satisfaction factor, like from a learning perspective, where we learn better that way, because it's an intuitive piece of us. Yeah. It so is. And I think it's something that gets lost along the way where you know, if, for many of us who who have dieting histories or eating disorder histories, um, it's something that gets lost along the way around, like, what do I actually enjoy eating and how do I know I enjoy it? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think, I think that's something that we really get disconnected from. So when it comes, intuitive eating can feel really challenging for those who are new to it simply because they're, it can feel really overwhelming. Like, I don't know what I like mm-hmm. to eat. And how do people figure this out? And how do I allow for pleasure in my life? Like, these are really important questions and they're really challenging too. Yes. Yeah, definitely challenging. And I think our society has um, disconnected us from ourselves. And we see that also from like a mental health perspective and just slowing down can do wonders and actually feeling the feeling and not just stuffing it in um and like you said finding maybe alternate coping mechanisms um that work for you um so all this intuitive eating it encourages you to slow down and connect with self once again yeah 100 yeah. yeah um and you I feel like you were kind of maybe going and uh, alluding to this but you also, in preparation for this, filled a, a form for me, and you were discussing how sometimes there's some misconceptions with eating or intuitive eating, and I also find this comes up quite a bit in some of the education that we do um, in the community where when we're telling them, you know, all foods fit, some people interpret that as, oh, like, eat whatever you want whenever you want and just throw out those gentle nutrition principles like throw them out the window where we're saying okay well that's not necessarily the full picture um so I thought maybe that that's the experience we've had um but I thought maybe do, do you see anyone else coming up with different misconceptions around intuitive eating oh yeah 100 percent. I think as you know as intuitive eating has gained ground too it's become increasingly co-opted and so people come up with their own versions mm-hmm. of it or what they assume they assume that they know intuitive eating and are teaching it 
without really having a strong understanding of, of what it actually is. And certainly, I think that's one of them, right? That's one of the major misconceptions is that intuitive eating is a free-for-all. And certainly at first, when you are moving away from diets, there's going to be a period of time where you may be eating more, quote-unquote, forbidden foods. And it may feel a little bit out of control at times. This is a natural response to the dieting cycle, though. And I think that's really important to flag in that when we feel really out of control around foods and we're eating more of these foods that we don't normally eat, that's in response to the deprivation. Um, the diet cycle hasn't set up that way. So that's one thing I think to keep in mind and that the intuitive eating is going to look different depending on which stage you're at and how far you are into it. And so mm-hmm. just because you start off a certain way doesn't mean that that's going to be the way you you, you relate to food forever, right? This is a healing process. Mm-hmm. And so there is that part. Uh, the truth of the matter is, though, in the same way that eating cake for every meal is not very enjoyable, neither is eating kale salad for every meal. And the more and more that you allow yourself to have whatever it is that you want, at some point or, or another, it will be um, the, the question around, like, can I have it, will be replaced by, do I do I want it? And sometimes the answer will be yes, and sometimes it will be no. And over time, it's really fascinating to watch folks to develop greater clarity around foods and to realize, oh, actually, clear as day, I really want this thing. And so there is that piece of it. And also the piece around hunger and fullness, which is, you know, it's not super satisfying to eat beyond fullness all the time. And it's not satisfying to eat um, and to still be hungry. Right. And so that's also another learning experience where you're discovering your own satiety cues and you're figuring out what feels good to you. And so over time, you're going to be in this deeper relationship with food is really what you're going to get from that. But certainly one of the the greater misconceptions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, another one, another one is like this idea, we, we get, um, we're under fire a lot because we do allow for all foods and mm-hmm. some folks have a, have a, fe- have, you know, feelings about that. Like we are not, that we should be educating people about what's truly, you know, quote unquote healthy and we shouldn't be allowing for all of these foods. Um, I don't, that's also, again, like that's not based in, in science um, that our bodies can handle a variety of foods um, that, you know, everything can kind of fit and that the more and more that you practice allowance, the more variety I have seen people experience um, Mm -hmm. and there's less preoccupation, there's less stress. uh, There's all kinds of wonderful benefits that come from true legalization with food. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A sense of real freedom. Um, And again, that connection with self is trusting yourself that and your body that it, it knows what it needs and what it, and what it wants and it will thrive based on you following that guide. Uh uh Yeah. Um, so yeah, you kind of mentioned how sometimes have people have feelings about this. And I, I think that that's just because it's been ingrained in us for so long as well. Um, and definitely I know like my traditional training impacted that. Um, so it, it is maybe more unique for a, someone when they look up a nutritionist, some people think, they are looking for like weight loss or cleansing or, um, you know, supplement protocols. So sometimes yeah. it is, it's more unique that um, nutritionists are taking this approach. Like it's not as mainstream maybe, or it's becoming more mainstream, but I think the general public really still 
sees a nutritionist as someone they go to for more of like um, diets and meal plans. So, because I know, I know like when I didn't know about intuitive eating or our all foods fit approach or health at every size, um, this, this was my thought as well. So I think it might be valuable to just kind of tell your story of how you got here. Um, and as a nutritionist, why did you start taking this philosophy to help your clients? Yeah, yeah. So I started nutrition the same way I think, I mean, all the nutritionists I know um, started practicing much the same way, which is we are educated with that weight-centric paradigm in mind. We are educated, especially in holistic nutrition, I know that you know this. Um, We're we're taught a lot about food restriction and food elimination as like a means to health or improving health outcomes. Mm -hmm. So there is certainly a lot of that. Um, I had my own disordered eating history when I got into nutrition. So I struggled with disordered eating for 15 years. Mm -hmm. I started dieting and then just became progressively worse over time. And of course, that got carried into my nutrition work, unfortunately. And then over time, I started to realize like, one, I didn't like what I was teaching. I didn't I felt hypocritical. I felt like it was out of alignment. And as I started to do my own healing around it, it just felt like I couldn't, I absolutely could not do it. I remember doing a corporate talk once and giving, you know, like the typical prescriptive recommendations. And just, I got a question from someone in the audience being like, you know, I just really love sweetened fruit on the bottom yogurt. Like, is that so bad? (laughs) And I just thought, no, it's not like, um, you know, it's like, it's, it's yogurt and you love it. Like, what's the big deal? And I just felt like I could no longer go on with nutrition the way that I had. It just felt totally out of alignment. Uh, I couldn't imagine doing it for the rest of my life or even, you know, five years from now. So that was really challenging, of course, because like that was, that was my livelihood. Mm -hmm. And, uh, in that moment, I started to come across various podcasts and books about intuitive eating and felt really called to that. And there's no other word for it. And I really credit intuitive eating for helping me to recover from my own, my own eating struggles. Um, and just loved it so much that I wanted to start teaching it and help other people to embrace that modality. And so I went back and got training in intuitive eating and have done a number of trainings since then. And I get supervision all the time um, to make sure that I'm, I'm working as ethically as I can with my clients. Uh, the reason I use it now is simply because I have found that telling people what to eat is not necessarily the best way to improve, improve their health. I think it's what I love about intuitive eating is that it's really process driven. Um, it's really challenging that way because you're helping to guide people. You're using counseling skills, but it's been really lovely to see people make their own connections between, um, you know, the ways that food gets overcoupled with other things in their lives, the way that food becomes a stand in for other things in their lives and watching people to uncover that for themselves is such a gorgeous experience. And, it's really, really rewarding work. And so I love that intuitive eating is truly about figuring out what way of eating works best for you. And that I just mean, you know, the foods that you like to eat and the foods that you find energizing um, and the foods that you just really enjoy and that sit well with you. And so helping people to find that for themselves, helping people to find 
movement that they enjoy, if that's something that they're interested in, helping people to really liberate themselves from diet culture and from, you know, the ways that it objectifies women. I think it's just a really, it's a really freeing experience. And that's kind of what I like about it is that I'm not here. I'm here like as someone who knows a good amount about intuitive eating and who has a nutrition background, but I'm not the expert of your body. And to be able to help someone become the expert of their body and to be able to speak the language of their body is just a, such a rewarding experience for me. Hmm. That is so beautiful, actually, because when you're describing, you know, you're just their guide and basically you're witnessing them learning how to reconnect with themselves. Um, I like you can't deny that that's going to be rewarding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I definitely can relate as to, you know, some of the things I, like deep down when providing nutrition advice in the past um you know, people see you when, when they, they they really see you as like that authority figure. There is a p- power dynamic when someone's coming to you for a health treatment, right? So like sometimes I would be saying things and I know that they're going to trust every single word of what I'm saying. But like there there was sometimes for me that like deep down like, no, but this is your body though. Like you need to trust what's within. Maybe I didn't have yeah. the words and tools for it then. Um and like my job here at BANA has really helped me identify that, okay, there is tools that I can uh, share with people regarding tuning into their body when it comes to their diet. But I remember at the time I working as a nutritionist and providing some advice and like regimented meal plans. I'm like, this, this does not feel right. Cause I know there needs to be like, everyone's biochemically unique and individual and has their own, um, levels of satisfaction so all that needs to come into play to this right so there was um a learning curve for me to get here too and um yeah yeah so it's cool to hear how rewarding it has been for you yeah yeah um okay so I did also want to touch on um you mentioned that you know you did have um disordered eating tendencies and um, on your, I was reading your website and you mentioned how, you know, sometimes there's the role of the health professional, you go, you go seek help and maybe they don't even necessarily know um, or recognize the signs of disordered eating. So it kind of slipped under the cracks for a, a, a long time is what you said on the website. Um, yeah. So if you had any wisdom now after, you know, going through this that you would want to share with health professionals regarding um, being more aware or or whatever it might be, what would you want health professionals to know about disordered eating or eating disorders? Yeah, uh, there's so much to say about this, truly. I know, um, it is. But I think, I think, yeah, there's so much. I think, I think eating disorders are... I think, I think both are really challenging to identify. I think we have a lot of misconceptions around what an eating disorder quote unquote looks like and less of an understanding of how it actually behaves and the signs of one, because most people who develop an eating disorder are not going to look like the stereotypical emaciated version that we see like in the media. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think what's really important and I would really love to see more of is just really more questioning and more, more pausing and less assumptions. 
I think it's really important that when someone comes to us and is looking for whether it's a meal plan or dietary changes, that we really start to ask questions to better understand their motivations and where that is coming from. And that will quickly reveal itself in my experience. Um, I think that's really where things tend to go awry. I think when we talk about being client-centered, there are folks who feel like that means we give clients whatever it is they want. Well, the client wants this, and so therefore we are here to deliver it. I don't see it that way. I think we are really gatekeepers. We have a certain kind of knowledge, and it's not necessarily about always giving a client what they want. It's about better understanding what the needs and the wants are and whether or not the content we offer them is in service of them and and like how can we be supportive of Um, their experience as opposed to an obstacle in that experience. And so I really think it comes down to just really asking a lot of questions and getting a good sense of who's in front of you and what their life is like. Um, I've often seen eating disorders uh, and just disorder eating behavior fly under the table. And then by the time the the individual comes into my room, they're they're feeling like very defeated. They feel like uh, very invalidated in their behavior. Um, so I think it's really important that we that we really listen to what's not being heard and what's not being communicated. Like this person is showing up and they're sharing these things. What what is not being shared? What do I not have access to yet? What do I not know of this person? And what do I need to know in order to properly give them a recommendation if that's what I'm doing? And so I think just really thinking about all of it, all of those pieces, and then again, how that person might take whatever it is we're offering to them. So another thing I see often is uh, first course of action might be an elimination diet or certain foods to avoid. And in my experience, it's not necessarily all that helpful. Um, even when we're talking about gut issues, there are so many people who are so stressed and so anxious. And so I honestly think the first course of action is really looking at what is this person eating overall? Are they eating enough? Are they consuming enough variety? If that's, you know, if that's an appropriate question for that person. And also really thinking about stress and anxiety in their life and how to better manage these two pieces. And sometimes when all of that comes together, uh, whatever that whatever the gut issue quote unquote is tends to resolve itself. And I'm not saying that's always the case. And I'm, I don't want to dismiss um, the importance of, you know, going to the doctors and getting a gastroenterologist appointment and the whole deal. And like, certainly there are, you know, you have Crohn's and colitis and, and celiac disease and various gut issues. But I also think it's really important to actually go through, um, to just go from the very beginning and have that checklist in mind of like, let's start at the simplest stuff and then move from there. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully that answers that. Oh, no, definitely answers that. I love it. Um, I really like how you brought up the stress and anxiety piece um, because we are a mental health organization at Bannett and um yeah, so I, I mean, I think there's greater awareness around mental health and how it can impact you physically, but not necessarily all the time. So um, just that that piece, it is really important because, again, it's like a way to check in with yourself too, um, like it, as an individual, not just in the doctor's office, but checking in yourself, okay, like, what have I done recently to lower my stress? Um, and could that be affecting me physically, right? So not everyone has that um, innate intuitive a bit or is aware completely that um, these things are 
all intertwined, right? So uh, I'm glad you brought that one up too. Um, so I'd like to, I think this is a good time to bring up um, what you alluded to in the, or no, did I alluded to it about the book that you've recently <laughs> written, <laughs> which um, I'm sure was like a labor of love. And um, it's called Enjoy It All improve your health and happiness with intuitive eating. So I'm really excited to dig into that, finally. Um, I, I looked at uh, online today, and if, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, I on Indigo, at least, it said like it will be released mid-September. Is that across the board everywhere? Yeah, from what I know, um, in North America, it's, I believe it's, it's around September 22nd will be the release date. Okay. Uh, so it's only available for pre-order, but that's the release date. Yeah. So is it, um, tell me a little bit more about it and like how you got here and how you have a published book, which is something to be <laughs> so proud of. And I also read how it's, you, um, it's the first Canadian authored um, intuitive eating book. Is that correct? From what I know, right? I yeah. don't quote me on that, but from like, what I gather, I don't know of another one. So yeah. if someone wants to book me, I'm very open to that. But from what I know, it's the first. That's really something to be proud of. And it's kind of cool how I, how I know you. <laughs> I'm like, I know her. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, the story is really uh, wild to me. Um, so I was actually just sitting around talking to, uh, you know, a colleague a couple weeks prior to having a conversation with my publisher and he was like, you know, have you ever thought about writing a book? And my original education was in English literature and creative writing. And that's something I'd always wanted to do. I wanted to write a book and publish a book since I was 13 years old. Mm -hmm. So my answer was like, yes. But I said to him, you know, I don't think I will write a professional book. I don't think I really have anything to contribute. Um, and a couple weeks later, I was just sitting around and I received an email from my acquisition editor from, from Victory Belt. And she said, you know, we're working on a line of intuitive eating books and we'd kind of like, like to have you on board. And she said some really lovely things. Um, they found me through my Instagram account and through my blog. Mm. And so I basically was offered a book deal, um, based on that, That's which was really great. So I, I pitched them an idea and that it's kind of came to life. And so initially I wanted it to be a little bit different than what it's come out. Um, but it's essentially like it's, there's a, a lot of information about, it's all about intuitive eating mm -hmm. with a greater focus on pleasure, in my opinion. So there is some, you know, information on the modality itself and on diet culture. I talk about weight stigma and um, weight regulation, weight science. I also then go into more about pleasure and satisfaction and the reason for those mm -hmm. and into um, some of the disruptors of pleasure, like objectification happens to be one of them. There's a few others that I mentioned. It's not exhaustive, but that's in there. And then there's also over 30 recipes too, to help people to, to bring more, uh, more pleasure into their food. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds awesome. Um, so everyone keep a lookout for that. I'm definitely going to get myself a copy. Um, I, it's funny because like when I saw that, I was like, yeah, like so proud of you. And then I was like, I'm not surprised though, because I remember in our, <laughs> in our side, well, you are a great writer and I always thought that. And um, in our side conversations, I just remember, you know, you 
commenting on the fact that like that was kind of like the first avenue that you had planned to take so I was like everything comes together like it's such a it's so exciting that life works like that and that you're here and you and you completed like the original goal (laughs) yeah 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 it's it's wild to me it was written really quickly so I'm still trying to figure out you know like I I wrote the entire book in around three months and so it was like it's been fast and furious (laughs) wow yeah good for you (laughs) that's awesome um so you kind of you brought up that in the book you do touch on um a weight stigma and um I know that it is kind of surprising but a lot of people don't necessarily know what that means but um in this world we're very familiar with that so can you just explain what that means to the audience as well yeah so I mean, there's more to it than this, but I think very briefly is just weight stigma is, is, is fat discrimination. It's weight against higher weight folks on the basis of size. Um, so that's, that's sort of what it is. And the reason why we talk about it and why it's so important to keep talking about the harm it does is because it is, it's very harmful and has been linked to a number of, of health concerns. Um, it's very stressful, for sure. Mm-hmm. And so when we're talking about other forms of oppression, I know that racism has gained a lot of traction this year with Black Lives Matter. And it's also important to talk about fat phobia and weight stigma and how that negatively impacts those in higher weight bodies. Mm-hmm. And so um, and so I guess that's kind of the brief definition. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, there's certainly a lot more to know about it. Um, but just know that, uh, I mean, personally I view, and I mean, this is not even a personal thing, like objectively higher weight people are discriminated against. Mm-hmm. And it's really important that we center that as a form of oppression and that we begin to better understand, um, the ways that we have internalized, we have internalized weight stigma, the ways that we are, um, perhaps subconsciously contributing to weight stigma and what we can do as allies and as just, you know, as people to really support everyone and, and, and to help to, um, to mitigate some of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that was well put. Um, and when, when you were speaking about going into the doctor's office too, um, I know that, you know, asking, even asking more questions with regard to, you know, someone in a larger body, we often hear that they report they go into a doctor's office and it's all the focus is always on you know weight shape size and there's assumptions made based on that um so i mean one of the long-term missions of the work we do in prevention is to have all health professionals you know aware that you know we all have unconscious biases um and i think this starts really young as well through you know, media and teasing that occurs on the on the playground and uh, because of the way we look, right? So that's like in prevention, one of the long-term goals is to, you know, focus on all aspects of a person and, and ingrain that in young people, uh, not all the emphasis always being on appearance and as well as to educate health professionals on um, some of those biases that they may hold and challenging those biases that they hold. Yeah, 100%. That we can't tell someone's health status by the way they they look. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, So I just want to make sure I get in all my good questions. We're having good discussion today. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, So 
in preparation also when you were filling out my form for me you noted I asked I believe like what you believe mental health means and what it is and um to finish off that little spiel paragraph you wrote me you also noted that positive mental health is a privilege with which I can I agree with so can you elaborate on that a little bit more and what you meant yeah for sure so I think when we when I think about positive mental health anyway and I think about you know access to to you know being able to eat regularly consistently and being able to choose foods that I enjoy of being able to get adequate sleep of living in a safe neighborhood of having access to medical care um, of having you know of, of being in good meaningful relationships of feeling really supported of being able to access things like therapy um, these are all privileges, I think most mm-hmm. of them, right? So there are many people who are living in food deserts who do not have access to safe drinking water, who do not have safe employment or stable employment, who are living um, who are living with abusive partners potentially, right? I just think there are so many pieces to this. Mm-hmm. And then again, there's a financial barrier around many people do want to access therapy or other forms of mental health support and are not able to do that because of the cost. And so um, I think that's really important to talk about when we talk about self-care and we talk about positive mental health in that there's, there's so much that we can do. And at the same time, for some people, they're not able to access it for reasons like for financial reasons or just because of availability, it's just not around. And so that we do the best we can with the resources that we have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, definitely important to be, talking about sometimes those things are the things that keep me up at night (laughs) I'm like it it is it can be overwhelming um thinking about all that I think I was I'm a a little bit of a sensitive soul but and mental health is such a passion for me but it's all very important to be talking about because of course if we don't talk about it there's never going to be change on that um Okay, so I'm getting to the end of our chat, which has been so rich and um, really enjoyed having you on. So I'm just going to throw a couple more fun ones at you. Um, In terms of, so we talk a lot about social media with the education we do to young people because we know that's affecting the way we feel about our bodies. Um, So do you have any online uh, role models that you follow, people that you like what um, they are promoting with regards to having like a positive relationship with food or your body. Is there anyone that you really love out there that you suggest we follow? Yeah. So one of my favorites, and I know this is a favorite for a lot of others too, is Virgie Tovar. Mm-hmm. Um, watching her is, is really like, she's so inspiring to me because she's an amazing writer. She's absolutely brilliant uh, she comes across as so confident. I imagine that's that's authentic. Um, and I love her sense of style. And I just love how she rocks her body and rocks who she is. Mm-hmm. And that's been really great to see. Oh, that's a great one. Um, so my next question is, is what is your favorite food? Because we've talked about food so much, I have to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, my favorite food. I love I love pizza. I just do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, do you ever miss the Windsor pizza, Sarah? Well, yeah, it's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> you 
there there is there Windsor Pizza does Windsor does have great pizza and so yes yeah but I mean fortunately Toronto we're really lucky to have some really great pizza absolutely yeah um okay so my final question um because the name of the Banna podcast it's called be yourself happy healthy and hopeful and um I always finish off my last question to everyone I have on as it's what are you most hopeful for going forward in 2020? And this can either be something that you're hopeful for yourself, someone close to you, or just for society in general. So what are you most hopeful for? I'm most hopeful for um, for safety, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and all of that, the yes. manifestation of that but that's something when I think about creating a better world I think about a safer world and so that's something I always try to keep in mind is like how do we create more safety for everyone because I think that translates into greater health and happiness for everyone also Mm -hmm. yes you're right amazing so amazing answers I was so um in in my zone with this recording um I think it's become it's because it's something that is so important to the work I do and so in line like we talked about now I'm so in line with uh, who I am and discussing it is really um, valuable and gives it's very rewarding for me so I'm so happy that you agreed to be on our podcast Um, if people wanted to learn more about you Sarah where could they uh, find you online yeah, so I'm not big on social media. I'm, I'm posting frequently. The best place to find me is on my website, which is sarahburnash.com. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have to, uh, mid-September, look out for Sarah's book called Enjoy It All. Um, definitely go and get yourself a copy if you want to learn more about intuitive eating. And also, it sounds like there's going to be some amazing recipes in there too, <laughs> which I'm always <laughs> looking for. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. All right. So once again, thanks, Sarah. Um, For anyone else who's listening who is looking for eating disorder services within the Windsor-Essex community, please visit our website, www.banna.ca. And thank you very much for listening. We'll check you next time.